The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live here from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and also sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can go to sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can scroll down right there on the right. Uh, you'll see the video going, and you can enlarge that, and you can see the face that's made for radio right there. You can watch the video portion of the radio show here. And you can also do that on a number of other media platforms, such as my Twitter account at FPPTM, FPPTM on Twitter. That's where you can get our Periscope feed. It goes out, uh, the video feed, for the radio show on FPPTM on Twitter. You can also go to our Facebook page, Bradley Dean SOL, Bradley Dean SOL on Facebook. You can go to B. Dean Sons of Liberty, B. Dean Sons of Liberty on YouTube. You can also head over to BeforeIt'sNews.com where we're on there at 6 a.m. every weekday and at 3 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday and Saturday, Bradley's on in the afternoons. And then finally, we're on DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. The Sons of Liberty at DLive.tv. And then you can also catch us on a number, another of other social media platforms, such as Spreely, Gab, MeWe, Minds, and USA.life at Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media. And uh, we appreciate all your support on all of those platforms. Glad to have people in uh, the chats uh, for the various platforms today. Uh, glad that you guys have joined us. Now, this week, we were not able to have my good friend Victor Poirier on with us on Tuesday for our our history lesson that we're going through. And so I got the bright idea. I said, well, let's talk about what's going on here uh, with all of this coronavirus stuff. Let's talk about what's going on with the stuff we're getting out of this whole QAnon phenomenon uh, taking down the deep state and all of this worldwide hysteria over a pandemic, which doesn't, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad, I'm not saying there's not a real virus. I'm not saying people don't get sick or, or die. I'm not saying that at all, but it's kind of interesting. I, I've scoured the internet for Twitter and uh, Facebook and all these others. I don't even know anybody who has it or knows anybody who has it or has had it. So this has uh, kind of brought my attention to Victor because Victor has a certain history about him that we introduced 
in the very first broadcast, and I wanted to bring him on just to have a conversation with him about his knowledge of deep state, uh, shadow government, and things of that nature, and how that would relate to this. So with that said, Victor, good morning, brother. How are you? I'm awake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. That's good. Well, look, we wanted to bring you on because you have uh, a special history about you. And what I want to do is, before we get too deep into the subject, people may say, well, who is Victor Portlier, and how, what, what, what gives him any um, credit in speaking to this issue? So what I want to do is, I want to turn it over to you, give people just a little bit of history of who you are and what you used to do, and if you want to, you can even share a little bit of your testimony of how you came out of that and why you see things the way you do now. Okay, um, well... First of all, you should know that I'm 82 years of age, so I have been around a few blocks in my life. Um, I'm an Army brat with a career Army officer as a dad, which kind of uh, (laughs) put some spine in my back at an early age. Um, But I guess some of the things that are relevant here, Tim, are that um, I went to the University of California at Berkeley in the 50s, uh, the uh, when the whole red diaper baby thing was triggering and uh, as a prelude to the 60s uh, rebellions. Uh, and I came out with a master's degree in public administration and then my BA had been in economics and political science. And I went back to work with the New Frontier and it came out of Berkeley, as you might expect, as a kind of a moderate uh, democratic socialist. I mean, sort of believing idealistically that the government was the way to go. I certainly wasn't a Christian at that point and interested in mysticism, but not. At any rate, I went to work. Uh, my, my wife at the time went to work as a secretary on Capitol Hill to a congressman then, Jeffrey Cohalen, to Berkeley. And I got a job within the State Department, uh, particularly the subset uh, of the State Department, which is called the Agency for International Development, which is the Foreign Economic Aid Program. Um, the Foreign Military Aid Program is done by the DOD. And, and, of course, it's coordinated with the State Department. And people may not realize this, but, of course, foreign aid, there's some very um, um, humanitarian things that are done by it, no question, beneficial. But primarily it's the bribe program for the State Department to get the leaders of governments to do what they will and uh, to sell U.S. goods for the corporations, the U.S. corporations that create certain things. And, most importantly, uh, they create cover uh, positions for CIA agents because they can go overseas as a a foreign aid education expert, public safety expert, agricultural expert, but in fact they are uh, agents in place. And so the CIA is very, very much involved in the foreign aid program. So at any rate, I um, was in a variety of positions. I came back as a management intern and had a pretty rapid rise. Uh, went to, I was on the Sudan desk. My favorite bureaucratic title was a assist, special assistant to the assistant administrator for African affairs. Um, I uh, then, at a certain point, after Kennedy had been assassinated and Johnson was in place, and the CIA had wanted uh, Kennedy uh, to consolidate all the uh, foreign affairs intelligence operations and funnel the information through the CIA to him, well, he was not about to have that happen, particularly after the Bay of Pigs. So when Johnson came in, he immediately ordered that that be done, and he created something called the Foreign Affairs Information Management Effort, which was to bring all the foreign affairs community agencies together 
um, under the auspices of the National Security Council and what was then called the Bureau of the Budgets, now the um, Office of Management and Budget, uh, to make sure that the newly emerging importance of computers, particularly the IBM 360s of that era, uh, could have compatible systems and uh, certain classifications of how the information could be exchanged between agencies and what levels of security, et cetera. And so the uh, person that was assigned, each, each agency then had to have a team that was specially detailed over the NFC. And so the person that, that was chosen for the foreign aid program was a fellow who had just come back as the aid deputy chief in Tel Aviv. But in fact, he was a CIA guy from way back and had been working in the foreign aid program for a long while. His name is DeWild. At any rate, um, so John had to get a, a, a key team, and so he checked around. And, and I was a young up-and-comer at those days, and uh, he asked me to join him, and um, I did. So I spent a couple years working with the intelligence world in a, in a very specialized place. And actually, sent overseas, I spent time in, in Turkey and India, Thailand, and the Philippines, installing pilot systems for the information systems. At any rate, at a certain point, 1967, uh, John said, there's a new book out by a scholar over at Georgetown University, which is, has a foreign service school right there at D.C., and he says, you've got to read this book. Well, it's a 1,300-page book, but because John said I should read it, I, I got it. And it was called Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley, who was the professor at that time under whom Bill Clinton was studying, and that's how Bill Clinton figured out how to make it in the power elite world. At any rate, that book was a shattering book for me to read because suddenly I began to make a lot of connections of things I'd been hearing and seeing and realizing how much of the foreign policy of the United States was being dictated out of New York, particularly the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, this is before the Trilateral Commission was created. And so then I wound up reading Hayek, The Road to Serfdom. And by that time, this is now the late 60s, I, had, was, I became chief of information systems development for the foreign aid program. I had about 15 people working for me in an IBM contract. But I started getting really depressed because suddenly I began to realize what we now call uh, you know, the, the administrative state or the national security state or the, uh, or the shadow government and, and erroneously the deep state. I'll come to that in a moment. Uh, really was what was powered the, the government and the, the people in Congress had very, very little to do other than uh, fund what they were asked, being asked. To, and I thought, I, I don't want to do this. And so I wound up leaving the government in 1970. So from 61 to 70, I was embedded in that stuff. And I spent a couple of years um, just kind of rethinking life. I went and punched cattle on my uncle's cattle ranch in Montana for a couple of years. Then I went up to Washington State, where I had been born and got a job teaching at a local community college in Antioch, and, and I spent uh, a few years really starting to try to understand what, what I had just left, because what the government that I was experiencing was not what I'd been taught, taught in, in my political science classes in Berkeley, or, or certainly not in high school. And so that began a long trip, and I wound up um, working... There, in, in a, uh, teaching political science, economics, international relations in Antioch, I taught Middle East politics. Oh, at one point I was at the Islamic Center in D.C. studying Arabic and, and uh, Middle East studies, uh, Islamic culture. And so uh, and I taught comparative religion. And so eventually I, got, I had to leave. I couldn't stand the faculty lounges and all the liberal professors. 
I uh, didn't mind fencing with them because I really didn't have anything but dull sores. But leaving that aside, uh, I then wound up being uh, working in the consulting world and began to working with some very wealthy families, some of whom ran foundations and were conservative in their orientation. And I wound up for the last, oh, from between 1990 to roughly 2007, now, working with the libertarian and conservative think tanks, primarily in D.C., but all over the country. And um, so I have a, a lot of background in this stuff. And I've always said, way back when, I wanted to be a kind of a Mandarin, uh, <laughs> an administrative scholar. And uh, so I wound up, though, being very much on the outs with the establishment. And that's kind of where I am today. Um, I Living up in upstate New York, um, in the semi-rural area, um, uh, I, and um, I, so I have a, a deeper background than most. Um, it's not to say that I've got a lock on things because so much of this is it goes on in rooms in buildings you never even heard of, and I'll never get into them. So we're all they're all theorists about how the system works, and of course conspiracies exist. They always have existed. History is a series of conspiracies. You know, Brutus and the senators didn't suddenly say, oh, gee, we got knives in our pockets. Let's go over there right now and stab Caesar to death. No, they conspired to do that, and that goes on in politics all the time. And so I, I think we, we, we all should be conspiracy theorists, just as any good police detective trying to figure out a crime that may involve two or more people has got to be a conspiracy theorist before he figures out how it actually happened. So that's a quick hyperdrive through my past. Yeah, no, I, and I appreciate you laying that out for us. And by the way, you did make mention that you became a Christian. Your sweet wife told me that you just became a completely different man uh, in the way you saw things, that you speak to everything through the lens of what the Word of God says. And for people who don't understand what that is, that's the Scriptures in the Old and New Testament. It's not the Quran. It's not the Books of Mormon and all this other. It's the Scriptures in the Old and New Testament. And you see things through that. You try to view your worldview is through that lens, and that's really why we have you on Tuesday. You've got a vast knowledge of history, um, of how things work there, and you look at it through the lens of Scripture. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that we became friends and that you can come on Tuesdays to do that. Now, the reason I asked you to come in for this particular show is because of what we're seeing going on with the coronavirus, the actions of our government, the actions of foreign governments, the actions of, uh, and I've got people in now, <laughs> uh, the the actions of foreign governments and the actions of um, uh, what we're seeing in this whole QAnon phenomenon and people buying into that. And I think you're you're going to be able to speak to a lot of these, uh, you know, just from your experience in that. And I think this is important for people. This isn't Tim Brown saying it. This is somebody who's actually been in the system who's seen that. So there are two things that, that you mentioned there. You know, deep state has been talked about in our culture and in our news for some time. And part of the issue that we've we've got going on is you mentioned deep state and shadow government. And a lot of people will intermix those things together, but you said you said we should keep those things separate. You want to talk about the difference between the deep state and the shadow government? Uh, yes, I think it's important. I'll do a quick history lesson. We won't spend too much time on this. But you have to understand that we're talking here about something far more important or significant or historic than just what's been going on in the last couple of years or under the Trump administration. Because if you 
the documents are there. The books have been written. Scholars left, right, and center have dealt with this stuff. And if someone is serious, of course, we don't, so many people don't read books these days. They don't really know much of other than what they pick up in Internet memes. But what you have since the 1700s, and particularly the early 1800s, the, the capture of the British Bank of, of England and financial system by the Rothschilds. And, and a network of there, and they have had, had as a goal of the creation of a new world order. I mean, and this is in you, know, you can if you go to the Council on Foreign Relations, read their foreign their magazine Foreign Affairs or the books that they publish, or see the quotes of David Rockefeller, any number of other people, even uh, presidents out of skull and bones like uh, George Bush. You'll see they talk about the new world order. What is that? They are go- they are working toward this. Globalists are working toward the diminishment of national sovereignty, and the creation of a one-world government. And so they have been pushing this direction now uh, ever since they got all over the world, but particularly under the Wilson administration, which they get, they captured the monetary system. And then they wanted to get, create the League of Nations. The Senate of the United States after the First World War got, said no. Then they realized, well, we have, to, we have to really infiltrate and control the foreign policy decision-making. So they created, in London, they created the Royal Institute of International Affairs and in the, uh, the United States, the Council on Foreign Relations. Because these are going to be entities that will be private think tanks that would eventually provide staffing for the administrations. And if you find, if you look at that, you'll see that from the time of uh, FDR right up to the present, that members of the Council on Foreign Relations uh, provide much of the staffing for significant parts of the administrations, Democrats or Republicans. And then, most important, right after the Second World War, we got the United Nations, which was their creation, and then we got the National Security State under Truman. And this is the, where I, OSS became the CIA, and the whole uh, uh, national security state began to be formed then and has been there ever since. And this is really focused in D.C. itself, in the Beltway. So, it, it, And why I don't like calling it the deep state is because that's misleading. What really it is is you can call it the uh, national security state, you can call it the administrative state, or I prefer the shadow government, because the shadow government is the people in the bureaucracies with their connections outside to foundations and think tanks and particular corporate donors um, who actually run the government. And so that's one thing. And every government in the world at this point of any significance does have a shadow government because most of the governments in the world have their monetary system controlled by central banks that are privately owned. And so having said that, you have to understand then what is the deep state? Well, the deep state is really the octopus, and the uh, and the shadow government in any given country is the is the tentacle of that octopus, and that octopus is the financial sector and also the foundations. People don't realize how significant foundations are because it's where the super rich primarily have parked significant amounts of money that they don't have to pay taxes on, and then they fund the think tanks and the activist groups that help move the agenda towards the new world government. And so this, this is the deep state. It's private institutions, private banks and financial institutions, major corporations, transnational corporations, and the, the, the think tanks and the universities that they fund and the positions of chairs that they 
they create for professors that go along with them. And these same people actually, uh, you'll see the membership overlap uh, with the, the, the six uh, media cartels who are all part of the same game. So the reason you see uh, the liberal left as, as uh, mass media front people, you know, the, the anchors and the rest, is because they, they're they not there with the management or the ownership in disagreement with them. They're collectivists. And so they're, that's what the mass media is owned by, people that want to be collectivists. They don't necessarily want it to be socialism or communism or fascism or corporatism. They don't care what you call it. Because as long as there's a pyramid of power and they're at the top, they could care less. And it's one of the reasons why Trump has been having such a hassle. Now, so let me say something about Trump. Uh, I, I was a never Hillary person, and I voted for Trump primarily for that reason, but also because, I mean, I, I knew something about having lived in Manhattan for a few years. I knew something about Trump. He's a profoundly effective project manager. Uh, he gets along with his people. We actually, my wife actually knew people that worked for him. Uh, and so you don't amass a multi-billion dollar operation without having, being savvy in, in many ways. The trouble is that knowledge, even an even a international entrepreneur and celebrity, does not necessarily translate into knowing how to operate and function in the shadow government world. It's like, just because you know the forests of New York doesn't mean you understand the jungles of the Amazon. And, uh, but it's a, and that's the problem. So you go in, a president comes in, he's got to hire people to run different operations, so he has to look for experts. And who are the experts? The experts are the people that have been the deep state and shadow government experts all through several administrations. So you wind up having people that who have the credentials, but which are opposed to your position. So you have all kinds of people within the government uh, opposing you, and then you have the mass media, which is really controlled by the deep state outside, opposing you, and you have the leadership at both parties, because you have the Democrat leadership, which is socialism um, uh, strong, and then the, government, the GOP types are just sort of uh, at the leadership level, the socialism light. It's all collectivism, and so you, that's what he's been up against. Now, so now let me stop there to say, is that, is, is that an overview before I get into uh, QAnon? Yeah, no, it's, it is, and, um, and this is and, – and what you just pointed out right there, look, when we've been critical of the president – uh, it hasn't been, you know, people say, well, you hate the president because you're criticizing this, this, and this. Well, what we do is we go back to our Constitution and we say, but it's against the Constitution. So this is where we draw the line at. And I believe that I believe any president, I believe any congressman or senator should know the Constitution. That is the standard by which they should be operating. And no matter who they're dealing with, this is the standard. And um, so I'm, I'm glad that you separated those things out. I'm glad that you said, yes, this is what he's up against. I know that he ran in some circles with some of these people. We, this is a given that it's there. And you know what? We would like for the president to actually succeed in being constitutional. That's the point. We wanted to be successful in, in obeying the Constitution. But now we've got an issue to where we're going up, and, and I'll, I'll do the QAnon thing, too. Um, now we've got a president who we're told, and, and this is going to tie the QAnon thing in, he's, he told the people all of what you know he wanted to do. Sometimes he would backtrack, sometimes he wouldn't. Um, and then sometimes he's done that during after he won office. And one of the biggest things was te- telling the people, um, you know, 
he he i mean we got the video he said it many times that hillary clinton is uh, he called her crooked hillary he uh said that she was quote unquote guilty as hell uh he promised the american people that he was going to prosecute her that he was going to tell his uh, attorney general to get a special prosecutor. He was going to look into that. He was going to take care of it. And all we've seen come out of the DOJ is, well, we can find nothing on Hillary. And we all know that's just not true because even the FBI under Obama said, yeah, she broke the law with her email server, but we're not going to recommend you go after her. So we already know that, and we want to continue to have investigations. Now we have Trump's DOJ in the State Department uh, basically – uh, supporting her in an effort to not be deposed by Judicial Watch. And so when I have went back and I've read some of the QAnon stuff, and I saw some of it, and my my first inclination was, this is too good to be true. This has got to be a PSYOP. And uh, friends of mine that, that had really studied in a lot of uh, Soviet thinking and how they wanted to do things to the U.S., this was their conclusion as well. And so... What I want to ask you is, when we separate out, okay, the deep state and we separate out the shadow government, when QAnon right. talks about taking down the deep state, he is not just talking about the tentacle of a shadow government in the U.S. They are actually referring to something that's worldwide so that people, we, we do understand that. But what they're telling the people is they're going to do certain things. Some of it obviously has not come to pass it has not been true information um and now some of it is and some of it's just historical data they're having people look up certain things and, and for that i'm kind of happy because i learned some things along the way when i was looking up stuff but what's your view on QAnon? and can you put that i mean i know you haven't looked into a lot of stuff here uh, of recent of QAnon. what can you put that in context of with uh, the what they call the criminal cabal in the world, the um, the child trafficking rings and these pedophiles and uh, stuff like that, and then how this coronavirus might tie into that. That's going to give you a lot of time to talk. <laughs> okay. Well, let me say, first of all, when it comes to geopolitics and the levels of secrecy and deceit and planning and dishonesty um, globally, not just in the United States. One of the problems Americans have, they're so focused on the U.S. of A., they don't understand that they're really part of an international system. At any rate, people really looking out, we've had so much fear pumped into us. You'd almost call it fear porn. <laughs> you know, it's, you get addicted to fear. And then, so along somebody comes and they start giving you hope. The trouble is, you can have hope porn, too. And so... What you really have to understand is there is no red pill to swallow that's going to give you the full story. Because unless you're on the very innermost rings of the inner, inner rings, you do not know what's going on. What you do know is what you can draw from things that are verifiable, and you can speculate, and you can have hypotheses as a good scientist. And for me, measuring it against the scripture as the standard for evaluating governments, because Man always wants to create a political tower of Babel, and that's what, of course, the New World Order is. So you have to understand it from God's perspective of the vertical, and you have to try to understand it from a really conscious person on the horizontal. And, you know, the other thing is, uh, Sun Tzu, back in the 600 B.C., said, with regard to warfare and politics, 
You know, if you know yourself and you know your enemy, you'll lose. You'll win a hundred battles. If you know one and not the other, you're going to lose. And most Americans, and particularly Christians, who have for the most part avoided politics now for some time, uh, really don't know the enemy. And in some respects, I would argue that many of them don't know Christ Jesus in, in the fullness of His recall, His call on us as individuals, families churches, vocations, education, and civil government. But that's a time for something else. So there is no red pill. So I'm not going to talk to you about what, what Victor's hypothesis is about QAnon, and we shall see. First of all, there's a, a Q book of 87 pages available in PDF. You can get a sense of what they've been saying now since uh, August of 17. And what I look at them as is a, it is a – they're trying to build whoever they are, and it's a team. It's not an individual – because the way in which the things are written very clearly show that there are different people writing it. Uh, some of them, it's very clear that they do not have English as their first language because of some of the blatant grammatical errors. So some of them in this team are not are not Americans or English. Some of it looks more like AI uh, programming. Some of it has neuro-linguistic programming Phraseology. I don't know if anybody out there know, knows about NLP, but I, I can't today try to go into that. We could some other time. And there's obviously some corporate marketing lingo. So whoever's putting this together is a team. It's not an individual. And so that's number one to bear in mind. Is it coming out of the shadow government? There may be individuals in there. Is it coming out of a think tank like the Tavistock Institute in, in Great Britain, which specializes in psychological manipulations and psyops? Or is it some of it coming out of the RAND Corporation? Is it a special funded group by the internationalists um, for some reasons that may even go beyond the Trump administration? Those are questions that are not immediately answerable because in the great game, all sorts of things are going on. So let's, uh, let's say something else about it, though. First of all, there are insiders involved because there are, some of it is very well researched. Um, some of it is high-quality material. Um, but the trouble is that it's like if you are a good fisherman, Tim, you bait your hook with the best type of fish bait you can have if you want to hope to catch that particular kind of fish. And I have a lot of things, reasons to believe or hypothesize that QAnon is aimed at the biblically oriented Christian community who tend to be very ignorant about how the state works because there are a lot of Bible quotes, prayer things, and it's, so it is, I think, in many respects, while there's an awful lot of useful material in there, it's hope porn. And it also kind of uh, leads to sort of inculcates passivity, because if there's somebody on the inside that's helping Trump to bring down the, the deep state, then we don't need to have to worry about it. We could just trust they're going to do it, which is bovine secretion. It doesn't work that way. This this. Deep state shadow government connection is far too complex for any one man to bring it down in four to eight years. It's just not that simple. So what you have is it's a kind of a creating what me worry, and I can talk about it because I know because QAnon says. Uh, fear porn used to be Alex Jones's trip. It still is to some extent. But hope porn is the new, the new media because these people, I think, are planning to build this so that the algorithms on the search engines are going to lead them to QAnon stuff and give them a lot of credibility. And so what we're seeing then is the encouraging that there's a victory expectation. It's all being controlled. 
And the fact is, it's not, because some of the predictions have come out. Some of them have not. They say they're on the top of the pedophile scandal, but little happens in fact. Uh, and so I'd like to just tell you one more thing, and then we can ask me, uh, some questions. When I was in the State Department as a young man, um, and I was just starting to rise in the, in the hierarchy, well, one old seasoned guy said to me, listen, Victor, this is what you need to do. Whenever you're in a situation and a new problem comes up, and nobody has thought about it before, you make it your focus to research it as fast as you can and be the, quote, first man with the draft. He says, because if you're the first man with the draft, the conversation will center around you, and you will then be rising in people's viewpoint because you are on top of it. And the more times you can be the first man with the draft, the more tension and credibility you'll get. And you think about QAnon, you know, when the Vegas shooting happened, they were like the first on the scene with the information, first, uh, with their, their take. When some things were going on in Saudi Arabia, they were the first on the scene. They had the first draft. And that's a standard technique because you do that enough, you get enough likes and whatnot, and you're building through very careful uh, algorithms on the, on the Internet that you become a, a voice of authority. And that's what they're seeking to do. It's not just fooling the, uh, the Christian audience. It's, it's also to create a basis for when Trump is gone, because people will trust him, and they are not to be trusted, because as, as interesting as some of the information is, Trump is not the Messiah, he's not to be worshipped as an idol, he will not solve the problem, he's making some great profit, progress in certain areas, and I don't dispute him, I mean, I don't just discount him, but as I said, QAnon is not a red pill you should swallow. Follow it, be very attentive. Measure it, check it out against other things, but don't be fooled. No, I think that's I think that's good advice. And I, I would say that even to a certain extent, Trump has to be tied to Q in some way. Uh, some of his tweets have referenced some of that. Those have actually been acknowledged in certain things. A lot of this, I got to tell you, Victor, it comes out of, I mean, uh, we haven't even gotten on our studies on Tuesdays um, to numerology and stuff like that. But there's a lot of stuff that comes out about this stuff where I start seeing people do this numerology stuff and they start, you know, you're having to break all that stuff down. And it just gives me pause uh, for a lot of things. But it does bother me. And people may say, well, why are you on this Q trip all of a sudden? Well, I just look, I went back the other week. I looked at a few things. I'm looking at what's going on and I'm getting information now from uh, a contact we have in the U.K., I'm seeing what they're doing. I'm seeing the narrative that they're sell- setting, and um, it, I, I don't see this. I don't see it as anything of what Q has put out. And to me, it's like what you said. They've neutralized, in my opinion, many people who claim to be followers of Christ because they use, you know, some scripture here. There's a lot of Christians who uh, investigate this stuff and report on it and all this other. But I remember there's a book out called Transformation of America, and it's not like transformation like Barack Obama. Uh, it's trance, like T-R-A-N-C-E, Formation of America. And it's actually about a guy who was in the CIA getting uh, a lady, as a true story, got a lady and her daughter out of mind control. And, I'm, you know, it's, it's fascinating that what they would use to do that were Bible verses, that was what they 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 used Christianity to, because that was the pervade. I mean, that's the pervading 
ideology uh, of America. I mean, because it's our foundations. But that's what they were using to control these people. And so it was interesting that you brought that up uh, about the other, how they're how they're utilizing in that. And the people I see promoting it are professed Christians. And it's amazing. So how do we see that in terms of, say, okay, let's take the first thing, the virus, the the virus that we're being told about now. How do we yeah, see that? I'd like to say one more, sure. one more little piece of this puzzle. Uh, I, I mentioned a few minutes earlier that when uh, they they lost their bid to create the first uh, outline for a world government in the League of Nations, they created uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. That was in 1921. There's something that was created in 1922, and if any of your listeners have not been aware of this, it's called the Tavistock Institute. And the Tavistock Institute, created in 1922, was building on the experience that the Brits had in fighting World I with propaganda. And so the Tavistock Institute is the world, uh, the financial elites, the transnational corporatist PSYOP Center in, 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 in London. And guys like Bernays and other people uh, were teaching them all sorts of things. And after the Second World War, we brought many members, that is Alan Dulles did, brought many members of the Nazi elite into uh, the CIA, which was already tied into Tavistock through the OSS. And so the MK Ultra program and mental conditioning of the society uh, was advanced by all sorts of experimentation there. So at another time, perhaps, we can talk about the, the mind conditioning and mind control. People have no idea uh, just how sophisticated the practitioners of, of mass media manipulation have become since 1920s. I mean, and it's really quite advanced, and it spreads out into the Stanford Research Institute and the Rand Corporation in Santa Monica. So another time we should talk about that, but don't be fooled that this, these people are just uh, just doing something on the, on, on the side. This is their goal. This is their plan. This is well-staffed. This is well-funded. This is great manipulation moving us in a certain direction. These are seasoned shepherds with seasoned herd dogs that know how to move sheep and sheeple. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I totally agree they do. So how do you see them? Um, maybe you want to s- split this up for just a couple of minutes, and we'll try to get to the, the other questions uh, following that. How do you see them using the virus here? That we're saying is going, you know, potentially killing millions of people. I mean, we've had the the funny thing is we had the John Hopkins model up what first uh, it was back in, it was back several months, and we even ran a story on it saying that their model was claiming you know mil- tens of millions of people were going to be killed, and then they come out and go, oh, we didn't, we never predict, we never said we predicted that, and I go, well, what is a model for but predicting certain things, pr- predicting the scenarios? That's what you had. Didn't say that you said it was going to happen. Saying that your model says. This is what's laid out. So what do we have now? Because we have the president, first of all, he said, oh, this is like the flu. It's, it's no big deal. Now we're like, boy, I mean, this is the guy who just stood there, what, uh, about a month and a half ago, said America will never be a socialist country. At first, it's the United States. America covers a, a continent. But um, we, we have him saying it'll never be a socialist country. Now, within a week or, or so, he's dumped a... million into Wall Street. Okay, stop and just think about that, people. He dumped it into Wall Street. And the second thing was, you know, his administration is looking for nearly a trillion trillion dollars uh, to give to the American people. 
uh, as though a thousand bucks in your house, if you're out for 30 days and you can't work, is going to make some kind of significant dent or help for you in that. How do you see first our government doing, and then what what is your perception of what they're doing in the world as a result of this? Well, before I get to what the result of this is, let me just simply say. Um, we are a socialist state. We are, absolutely. We've been a socialist state since Woodrow Wilson, because one of the planks of the Communist Manifesto is central banks. And you go down through the Fabian Society, which is another arm of this, uh, they have been building out uh, socialism in this country through FDR, LBJ, and the rest. If you go through the, the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto, in one way or the other, in different degrees, we have implemented those in America now. It's not a question of becoming a socialist state. It's a question of how socialist are we going to be coming. Absolutely. And what we really are moving towards, because what we really have, and you strip all the stuff away, we're not a republic, we're not a democrat, democracy. We are an administrative state, essentially, that is moving towards a form of economic fascism. Fascism being a blend of big business and big government where yep. either one or the other calls the shots. Even China had to give up socialism and communism. They're a neo-fascist state, and that's what the nature of the, the future world government is going to be if they're able to bring it off. So, so having said that, the, one of the other goals that they have, besides educating people in a certain way because they've sought to control the educational curriculum around the globe, People don't realize it, but the so-called Common Core, which raised such a problem because it was so globalist-oriented, came out of the United Nations and particularly out of the Lucis Trust. Yep, this which is then spread this to every country. This you know, is country. So yeah, this is why I have Lynn on on Wednesdays. We are constantly driving that home. And if any of your governors say that they've stopped Common Core, they are just lying to you, or they're ignorant of what it is. It's a particular standard. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I well, didn't mean to interrupt. They, well, they, they have stopped Common Core. They've stopped calling it Common Core. Right, right. But other than that, <laughs> it's right. not the same. Yes. So what you have to understand then is, in addition to controlling the, the uh, educational media, uh, and the, the textbooks, the publishing companies, uh, and uh, controlling the mass media, they have been working on creating a surveillance society step-by-step, incrementally, very Fabian socialist of them. You don't do it revolutionary, in a revolutionary violent upheaval. You do it step-by-step. And so if anybody follows John Whitehead, amongst others, you can see the surveillance society that's being built. And so the technology is particularly advanced in China, and we've been implementing a lot of that stuff here. So let's assume for a moment, who knows, I, I actually think it was probably the virus that leaked out in a bio lab in China, but I could be wrong. Who knows? But the fact is, initially, it didn't look like there was really much planning behind it. But what did Ron Emanuel, old Obama's guy, say with regard to crises? Yeah, you don't let it go to waste. Don't let it go to waste. So if my guess is they saw this emerging and they said, well... Let's see how many techniques and protocols of our future surveillance state need to be implemented, and we'll work on this in every single country, and we'll see what the best practices are for domination, and we'll see how willing are people to be herded around and told what to do. How compliant will they be? Will they get fearful and crazy? Will they be uh, passive and, and, and neutralized? Uh, and then we'll find out what technologies are working in the most 
like you know, photographic recognition and all sorts of other things, and we'll just build that into the process as we continue to build out the surveillance society. They're not ready for it yet because we're not fully in, that, in a position to do that. And, of course, at a certain point, they will probably pull the plug on the credit bubble after they've got all the surveillance society technology in place and the protocols in place, and they kind of dumb down the populace to be a, obedient to, to, to protect themselves. Because when, when, when disorder and panic hits, uh, people uh, look to the government now, not to God, but to the government to save them, and that's when you get the Towers of Babel uh, and the Roman empires and the rest. So that's what I see happening right now is they're building it out because they're checking out what they can do. And, and, and so that's what the, they always do that. Every time you get a crisis, you see, okay, what can we learn from this and what we can apply? They're very pragmatic people. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the things about even that we see with Trump. He's very pragmatic. Everybody, when he was going into office, um, the the Democrats didn't – they said they didn't like him. And the Republicans were saying, well, he's not a conservative. And everybody recognized he was very pragmatic. That's what he was. If anything, he was he was just going for whatever seemed to work. And um, now we have several things. We mentioned education and people who miss us on Wednesday. You really need to be here. Lynn comes in every week with information nobody is giving you in the media. Nobody. I mean nobody. And the fascism that erupts from these public-private partnerships out of these education bills is incredible. In fact, there was a bunch of them that were pushed out under Obamacare. That, I know that's not education, but there's a lot of that going on, Victor, and, uh, and you're right. That's happening right under our noses, and we don't want to see it because we still think we're the quote-unquote land of the free, home of the brave to deal, and, uh, and we're not like those other people of the past. That could never happen here, and yet we see it happening. Now, you mentioned the issue of education, and uh, I just got some um, things from uh, my contact over in the UK, they're going in, they're, they're installing the 5G network there. Even while the people are off the streets, they're putting them in the, in the lights outside. They're putting them in the schools. Um, and now we've had some parents really complain about that in the States about putting the cell, those 5G cell towers around the schools there. So, um, and that's not even considering the indoctrination process they're going in. This is just the, the, the means of, of doing these other things. But there's the virus issue. Now, when we talk about stuff like a QAnon deal, and you, meant, you brought that up a minute ago, and they said, well, you know, patriots, don't worry. We're going to give you certain things we're laying out. We, we already know that Donald Trump recognizes Q. We recognize, we know that because of certain things he said. And because of certain things he's tweeted. Okay? So we know that he is somehow aligned with whatever's going on there with Q. We know that for a fact. Well, wait, wait, wait. I don't, I'm not sure that I okay. uh, may agree with that. When okay. you say a line, it kind of depends what you mean by a line. That he may be, some of that information may be filtering into him from his various sources. I don't deny that. Okay. But to say that he's aligned with it suggests you know, an alliance. And I'm not, I'm not persuaded yet that that exists. Okay, let me let me put it this way. There there was a, a Q thing that I came across, and I, I should have pulled I should have pulled it up for here. Um, they specifically asked, uh, "Are you checking out these forums? And would you retweet?" And he did. And it was there was something. Th these people get into all these numbers and stuff, which is I just don't think like that. But did it seventeen hours after the thing on the mark? Okay, 
that it was a retweet. There are there was something he did just Let's the other day. numerology. We'll cover that at another day. Sure. Well, and, and this leads back to some of the things I think that tie in with. Uh, does it not tie in with uh, the Kabbalah and stuff like that that we've made mention of here recently? Well, there's not time <laughs> to discuss the Kabbalah. Well, no, I, I get it. I get it. But but Let's, but do, do those things not sort of interlap one with another? You can well, just say yes or no. Anybody or, that has studied the Kabbalah knows that there is a, uh, a numerological dimension to it. And for them, uh, and this actually filters into some of the top-level, uh, higher degrees of Freemasonry, as well as uh, organizations like uh, the Hasidic Chabad, uh, where dates and times and places and numbers become incredibly important for ritualistic purposes. But th- believe me, we need a lot more time than just a sure, few minutes that's fine. to go. To yeah, go I did. That. But, you know, it's there. It's there yeah. in the White House. Yep. I mean, and Jared and, and Ivanka are members of the Chabad, so they're Kabbalists. You know, how what that influence means in terms of various decisions being made in the Oval Office, I'm not, I don't get inside those doors. No, I understand that, and I, I didn't... Uh, I apologize if I chose the wrong words there. What I'm trying to say is we see a connection with things that that Q is saying and then what Trump says or tweets. And I think there are several instances that I I saw just over the past week of looking at some of the things. And that's all I meant to apply. If I use the word alliance and people got the wrong idea, that's not what I meant. What I'm saying is there there does seem to be a connection there somehow, some way. I don't know exactly what it is. But well, let me put it that. this way. There's a, a significant amount of quality material that QAnon comes out with. Absolutely. That's the bait. You don't you don't fish without good bait. Absolutely. So somebody's going to be using some of this stuff, and it's turning out to be true. I have no problem with sure, that. Sure, I don't either. But, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's seduction techniques, yep. <laughs> and uh, you don't want to lay all your cards out of the table when you're playing poker. No, I know that. And and this is something that I said. I, th- I think I said it on Monday or Tuesday whenever I did the show on the Q. Uh, was there's a lot of good information. I learned some things out of it. My problem is not necessarily with that. My problem is, okay, is this cover that they're telling us or they're telling people, don't fear, you're going to see this, you're going to see that. Don't worry, the Patriots are in control and this, that, and the other. And that, and, and where it goes, I, I break, I break ranks with all of it, no matter what the information is, because I say, well, wait a minute. One, the Bible tells me this is how God deals with people. Um, that's that's really the foundation that keeps me where I'm at. And then two, uh, you know, what do we see that's went on in the political realm? And then we match that towards what we're being told is going to be done that we're supposed to trust anonymous people about, that we don't know who they are or where they're at or, or what their motives are or any of this other stuff. So I, I'm with you on that. Um, we got about uh, four, three or four minutes here. And... Um, one of the things that I want to ask you uh, in in dealing with that is, what would be your advice to people who are listening to that or are listening to the current administration throwing money out to people, telling them to stay in their homes, you know, don't go out anywhere, do all this stuff. Uh, we're thinking about, you know, bringing out the National Guard and all these other things. What would be what would be your observations in that? What advice would you give folks? Well, hmm. Let me say two things. One, remember the Alfred E. Newman of, the, of Mad Magazine? Yep. Oh, what? Me worry? Yep. <laughs> oh, well, that's what QAnon is, is watch us take down the deep state for Trump. Don't believe it. Yep. Okay, that's for starters. Now, from a biblically-centered perspective, 
one of the problems is that for the too long, biblically prom- oriented Christians have ignored the public square. And uh, even when Jerry Falwell finally got around to becoming involved, or they started voting for Jimmy Carter way back, they were doing it out of great ignorance. They do not know the enemy. They know that something's wrong. There was a lot of fear going around, and the more they became aware of what was going on in the schools and elsewhere, more and more Christians uh, wanted to see something. So along comes Trump, and they think, ah, thank God we have have a man on the white horse. Well, you know, that is a delusionary thing to think, because where you need to be starting from is, not from fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And to the extent that you have the fearful things that you don't correct before the Holy Ghost, you are going to be, a, that's a demon of fear. So what? where's the boldness? Where's the victory orientation? There's a passage in Scripture that says, pray for those in authority. How many Christians do you know that regularly, daily, pray for those in positions of authority? The other passage is expose the works of darkness. How many people worked at Lord that you might expose the works of darkness? I believe the central problem is the judgment begins at the house of God, and it's the failure of biblically oriented Christians to be obedient to the full counsel of God when it comes to the civil authorities and to the public square. You send your kids to a a state indoctrination network school, and then you expect them to be Christians when they're adults, and most of them aren't. Why? Because you've been disobedient. Come on. Come on, preach it. It's okay. You still got a minute and 20. That's the thing. It really starts with a personal, your personal walk. Does the scripture mean something to you? Or, or, Or did you just say, well, I made a decision for Christ that I'm a Christian and that's all it takes. No, if you love me, Keep my commandments. That's right. And the, the commandments include your not just simply your own personal walk, but your way in which you deal with your family, the way in which you educate your children, the vocation you choose, and the associations and organizations you join, and the civil government that you support or oppose. And until you get a full spectrum of what a victory orientation of discipling the nations, it doesn't say go make individual converts. That's important. But ultimately, it's discipling the nations. We have not been trying to disciple the nations because all too many of us have expected to be raptured out before things get bad. Well, tell that to an Arab Christian who is a Semite being persecuted in the Middle East. He's not getting raptured out, and they're being killed. No, that's exactly right, and those are good words. I, I like them. They're strong. They're bold. That's what the sons of liberty believe in. We do not believe in a doom and gloom because we have a king who sits on the holy hill of Zion, having defeated the conspirators. If you don't know what that is, read Psalm 2, and God has instituted him on there, and he laughs at people who conspire against the Lord and his anointed. Uh, Victor, I appreciate you joining me this afternoon. Um, I know it's it's kind of we bunched up here and everything, but I appreciate your time. appreciate your words and what you had to say. You guys have a great weekend, great Lord's Day. We'll see you on Monday, Lord willing. Adios.